Shut up, I love it. There's something strange in your movie, dude. Who you gonna call? Dan Aykroyd. Shut up. I love it. I'm Joe Cabello, and I'm here with... Sasha Feiler, and this is Shut Up, I Love It, a podcast where we invite a special guest to talk about something underrated, underappreciated, forgotten, misunderstood, hated, reviled, all of the above at the same time. And who is joining us today, Joe? Who is joining us today as a guest? We have someone hailing from Ohio slash Maryland area, which I have a lot of Maryland friends. It's a little crazy. A family, family in Maryland. None, but my friends are my family, so yes. But, but for, for you, me, you do. Whoa. My family are my my friends, and they live in Maryland. I didn't know you knew anybody there. Uh, and uh, <laughs> a former I/O performer, sketch performer, I've uh, palled around with them on stages there. And a writer, actor, he's been on College Humor, Adam Ruins Everything, and the feature film Honest Weekend. We welcome to the show, Evan Watkins. What's up, Evan? Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to have you. It's great. It's great because uh, you've brought something to us here today. (laughs) You really did. You've definitely brought something here to us. Do you want to tell everybody what you shut up I love? Uh, the amazing Dan Aykroyd directed film Nothing But Trouble from 1991, I believe. Yes, and what is Nothing yeah. But Trouble about? If you had to, what, what's your blockbuster pitch? Oof. Yeah, it's it's about life, love, uh, <laughs> you know, death, everything. It, no, it's like a horror comedy that um, is basically about like some yuppies that are driving through. Um, you know, like a out of the way town in New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, like south of uh, New York. They're on their way to Atlantic City, and they get pulled over by this like local cop, and they take him to this weird sort of like funky haunted house looking, um, you know, Justice of the Peace guy, and he like traps them there and has intents on killing them, and and uh, it, but it's a goofy, it's a weird comedy, and. Um, <laughs> A lot of people don't like it, but I just think it's 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 the coolest thing in the world. And what I love about this uh, introduction, Evan, is that you're just smiling. You're so happy. You are just uh, vibrant and alive as you're talking and describing this. What most it, people <laughs> consider a horrific flop. Yes, I think what's, yeah. what's interesting about this movie is there's a lot out there about it. I didn't necessarily, you know, take in everything. But it's impossible for a movie to be as uh, forgotten. Let's say because I don't. I've never. This is the first time I heard anyone talk about it. Really? Yeah, that surprises me. Um, for but it must be, or my uh, my diagnosis for it. If I had known everything that's out there on it, with its score, its Rotten Tomato score, its bad reviews, and its lack of seeming cultural impact. It's like it must be so bad that it like needs to be talked about is what I would diagnose it as just yes. seeing all that. Even the trivia on um, IMDb is so long, almost as if like so many people had talked shit over the years that they're just like, just throw <laughs> yeah. the trivia in there. We need people to know what happened. 
Well, when there's a big train wreck, you gotta there's a big investigation. You know what I mean? So yeah. people are like more curious about how and why and 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 it's it, yeah. So there's a lot to be said. I think which that's is a good also way to kind put of surprising. The, tra- yeah. the train the wreck train is wreck. the way to put it. Uh, and that's yeah. actually me not saying any my feelings towards the movie here or there. Um, but what category of shut up I love it do you think this lands under? Uh, I I would say that if it, if the the main one i think i mean it kind of falls into a couple but i would say the main one is that a lot of people dislike it and i think that uh it should it should be given a second chance i think that and maybe it does have a bit of a cult status now and i might fall into that i think there's more people like me we're the silent majority <laughs> of uh nothing but trouble stands you know what i mean uh so yeah and i mean maybe a little bit of like small percentage of people don't know about it because you obviously didn't know about it. And like, you know, as I get older and younger people come up, like I see people online being like, Oh my God, have you heard of this movie independence day? And I'm like, yeah, that was a major movie that I knew about as a kid. Like, you don't know about that. You're just getting to this movie now. So like my assumption is that a lot of like, uh, you know, Gen Z people are just like, of course not aware of this movie. Cause they don't like, mm-hmm. I discovered it on encore and stars. Cause we had like, you know, those movie channels growing up and, on the weekends, they would just play movies over and over and over again. So, you know, I would like discovered this movie in, in a way that I don't think anybody would have now. You know what I mean? Yeah, there is something to be said about that, like experience of just flipping a movie on 10 minutes in and it yeah. being on repeat on the movie channels that right. uh, people don't have that experience now where they're kind of like force fed movies. Um, yeah, or it's like you got to like pick like you got to scroll through and like based on the cover that Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever like chooses to put out there, you're like, ah, oh, you know. And I and I'm not so sure that the young kids are hip to the uh, the Dan Aykroyd Chevy Chase comedy genius no. the way that I the way that I was. I don't think it's they're more under the Pete, Pete Davidson. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, what's so. your uh, sounds like no familiarity at all with this film? No, none. Uh, I think. The cover might may have looked familiar back in the the VHS days at the rental store, but never picked it up. And yeah, it is just odd to have never really heard too much about it for me because it does seem like one of those movies that would have like kind of bubbled up as like you got to see this thing. <laughs> like it may not have done well, yeah. it might not even be good, but you got to see it. Uh, so yeah, I, I was very surprised to know about it, and especially it being a Dan Aykroyd directed movie. I think believe is only, uh, yeah, movie no. that ruined him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it kind of was the end of an era, really. Um, which is funny because he was like Oscar nominated for Driving Miss Daisy, I think, around the same time. So he had like a lot of clout, I think. And he mm-hmm. burned it away. He just burned it uh, away. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, now he's making vodka, so, you know, he's not doing too bad. And what about you, Sasha? Was this on your radar at all? It was not on the radar, except I knew that our last podcast on the left likes to bring it up. Um, So this big podcast, a comedy podcast with Henry Zabrowski, Mm -hmm. like they like to bring it up every episode without talking to, it's just like in the inside joke of saying nothing by trouble, like whenever they talk about something, because I guess at some point they must have discussed this movie, and now they just use it, nothing by trouble, like that movie is <laughs> just like a <laughs> reference point. But no. It's shorthand. Exactly. I've never seen it uh, until yeah. a couple of days ago. First, first, uh, and I'm, maybe last time? 
I've never seen it. I'm so fascinated to hear what you say about it. This is great. <laughs> well, it's hard. Yeah, like it's like Joe and I. I feel like we still struggle to uh, <laughs> either either like express our feelings when they're strong about something or hide them until the end. And Joe's very good at concealing them and like misdirecting uh, people. And but unintentionally. Uh, but, it's uh, unintentional. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we should just jump into it. Um, I have a, so many things I want to say. In fact, once I finished it, I texted Sasha. I was like, I can't wait for you to watch this movie. <laughs> and once uh, I finished it in a couple of days, I had to text him in the middle of the night to be like, I finished it. And I do have things to say, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is it uh, that speaks to you about this movie, Evan? Um, so a, c- a couple things. I guess... Uh, it, I, I would say that it's it's not a good movie per se. It's not like an Oscar winning like it, it's not like a classic comedy in the sense of like man they're really like firing on all cylinders here. But I will say that it it is an intentional movie. Uh, it it is a piece of art I think. Um, and it's it, it, there are parts of it where they're making very strong choices, and that I like because a, a lot of comedies, especially in the early nineties. And even now, like, things just kind of fall flat. They're just like, blah, whatever. And at least in this sense, Aykroyd took a humongous swing. And it, maybe not everything works, but for a young kid like me, uh, it's it's very good introductory horror comedy. You know what I mean? Like, it's not quite scary enough to be, like, a really scary horror movie that's going to disturb you. But it's got enough, like, dark elements to it that it kind of gives you a little bit of that vibe of like, oh, like maybe I'm into horror movies, whatever. Um, and the comedy is like B-level, but I happen to like Chevy Chase. <laughs> like I like his like smart ass shtick and uh, I, I, I have the ability to separate the art from the artist a little bit. Like I'm not gonna, you know, uh, Defend condone Woody Allen, or, Woody Allen or Bill Cosby, yeah. but... Chevy Chase is notoriously known to be a dick. Even on this set, mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. said to be a dick, like commenting on Demi Moore's dress being too short Ooh. and, you know, trying to big dog Dan Aykroyd saying he was getting paid more money. Uh, but I do find him funny. So, like, for me, I was the perfect audience. I was a young kid who was fascinated by this, like, weird, grotesque shit that was happening in the movie. And I found Chevy Chase to be funny. I think Dan Aykroyd is a great actor who, like, you know, is so versatile on SNL and this is one of the only roles where he actually gets to like do something really different mm-hmm. like multiple roles under a lot of makeup um which I don't know it's just like I, I I applaud the merit and like the ability to take Warner Brothers money and say like I'm gonna do what I want and it might fucking completely wreck uh, sorry am I allowed to cuss <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah but uh especially it's great. nothing but trouble come on yeah, yes. nothing but fucking trouble. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, you know, just completely tank it. But, like, you know what? He tried. Like, I love that. I think it's great. Yeah, there's so much. There's so many moments in this movie that even if uh, the through line isn't particularly interesting or or good, every, you know, five minutes, you're like, okay, that there's a, a basically a sushi boat train, but with hot dog stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, there's like this Rube Goldberg trap. Mm. There just keeps being weird things, even like once they introduce the twins, twin kids. Which I think is everybody's highlight of this film, I hope. Well, well, you're just like this late in the movie. Bobo and Little Devil. I get these guys (laughs) this late in the movie. Cool. And it just keeps delivering. 
Um, Sasha, are you a Chevy Chase fan at all? Uh, yeah, I like him a lot. You know, he did his Chevy Chase great things that he does normally. Like, he brought him. I actually disagree. I, I like Chevy Chase. I think he's really funny. Um, but I felt like he was giving so little in this movie. And the majority of what he's giving is just reference humor of being like, oh, that guy looks like Bob Dylan or like some shit like that. <laughs> so, but they, that means you're talking about the script though, or you mean the performance? Um, well, he, I believe he did um, ad lib a lot. And that's, mm. that is Is that trivia that telling you on IMDb? That is trivia. Mm. And it's, it's Chevy Chase. He's also known to kind of bully. Yeah, his wife. I, I agree. I agree that I do think he's, like, clearly hating being in this movie, like, the whole time. Mm. But I think it works for that character. Like, he he did the film as a favor to Dan Aykroyd, right? And I think immediately as soon as he signed on, he regretted it and was a dick (laughs) on set and, like, wanted to be out of there. But, like, that's, A, what the major, like, the majority of the plot is him trying to get the fuck out of there. So it's, like, he's kind of using it. And even at his, like, bare minimum, like, level of um, commitment, like, he still gives you something funny, which is, like, that smart-ass, like, eh, like, sort of, like, uh, like the antithesis of the UCB comedy, um, you know, philosophy, which is, like, uh, don't comment on the scene or, like, you know, really play to the stakes. But it's, like, Chevy Chase knows he's in a movie. Like, there's not a whole lot of danger involved because, like, mm-hmm. he's always kind of winking at the camera a little bit uh, in, in, in a sense to me but I guess uh, to me Chase, Chase is always the same and I didn't vibe at all that he was any different from how I know him but I also was distracted by how much I didn't like this movie uh, <laughs> there it is so, yeah. it, there it is it comes so it's oh, possible it. that that's what happened no but I'm here the first person to tell you love the twins wish the twins were much bigger <laughs> um, presence yeah. in the, they in need the their film. own sequel yeah. they're the heart of the movie they really yeah. are. Yeah. And it's funny because Dan Aykroyd ended up playing one of them because nobody wanted to do it. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. Like, he truly is the dude in, like, you know, your group school project who just, like, does a bunch of work. Like, he directed, he co-wrote, mm-hmm. he, like, I think he co-produced and was in a bunch of roles. And, like, you know, he regretted doing that because he was stretched very thin. But Yeah, those were all, according to the, the trivia, those were all, like, everything was a task he didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. even directing it is just because yeah. dire- other directors said no. So he's like, well, shit, oh, if we got to get it made. But that was the story of yeah. his brother, right? Like, gave him the idea for the story as far as the Wikipedia page told me. Yeah. Could I think true? it was, like, I think, yeah. I mean, again, like, all this is, like, and until I, like, sit down with the actual people that made the movie, like, all this is kind of hearsay because, like, you can't, I mean, how, how much can you trust? But according to legend, internet legend, uh... Dan Aykroyd was, like, pulled over in a small town and had to, like, go to a judge that day. And he found the whole thing very, like, weird and fascinating and kind of, like, podunk. So, he wrote, like, him and his brother conceptualized a movie where they sort of took that element and, like, blew it out and made it more of, like, a horror. And apparently the original script had a lot more darker elements. But, you know, it's a Warner Brothers movie. It's the early 90s. Like, they'll let him take a risk, but not that big of a risk. So, I, I'm really curious to see, like, a director's cut of the movie where like more of the darker stuff ended up getting into mm. it. I mean, honestly, the version I have, like, I don't know if you downloaded it or rented it or on- online, but like, was yours like Blu-ray quality with like widescreen? Because I only have a DVD that's like 
basic quality and like four by three frames. Oh, so I'm not right. even getting the full, not even getting the full vision of the auteur. <laughs> uh, I, did, I rented it on, I think Amazon. Same. Or I think I got the full version. 4K reprint, restore mm. it. You got the 4K, the Criterion. Uh, <laughs> you got the Criterion version. Yeah, because the shots that yeah. had um, uh, Dan Aykroyd and two different characters, as two different characters, they have different quality. So, like, they were like not treated properly or something. I don't know. So, yeah. like, I probably got the fancy version of it, and still was not yeah. blown away. <laughs> yeah. No. It, well, I. I mean, but here's the thing. It's a competent film. He got together like Dean Cundy, which is like one of the greatest DPs of all time. He did Back to the Future, Halloween, Jurassic Park, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like this guy is pro. Um, he had a lot of Warner Brothers money behind him. And I uh, a- a- allegedly the reason one of the reasons why this movie kind of got away from Warner Brothers and it just they did whatever they could do. And the budget kind of flipped out a little bit. Is because Warner Brothers was preoccupied with Bonfire of the Vanities. Have you seen that movie? No. No. Now that movie was a huge flop that Brian De Palma was directing mm-hmm. at the same time, and the the studio had invested a lot of money in that because it was based on this really uh, huge book from the '80s called Bonfire of the Vanities. Obviously, so there was a lot of pressure to like get that movie right because the book was so popular. And while they were distracted with Bonfire <laughs> of the Vanities, Dan Aykroyd's over there with like his money doing whatever the fuck he wants to do, like buying like a bunch of toasters and like putting them up. Like, I mean, like the, the art, des- the, the set designer, whatever is like, it's insane. Like it's, it's the first time I've seen in a movie, like maybe other than like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but like that sort of house of horrors where it's like a, like hoarders, you know, and just mm. stuff all over the walls and hallways and crazy crap everywhere. So it's, I, I like the world building of it. I think it's like a fascinating thing. It just like it the the execution didn't quite hit the promise to me of like all the things that live up to it. But I still love it because of that. Yeah, because this basically the movie the way it starts like let's just talk about the first fifteen twenty minutes because in some ways the movie hinges on Demi Moore or not is it Demi Moore? Yeah, it's Demi Moore, right? Yeah, I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Watching too many movies with nine early right 90s now actresses. as we speak. As yeah, we speak. a lot of them. But it <laughs> yeah. like just hinges on her being so and pardon my language fuckable that you feel for the main ca- character's shallow uh, quest, which is quest right. is like is just to drive this girl to the same like legal appointment that he needs to be at because he's attracted to her. Well, because he's a sleazeball. And yes. that's and it. She's just like happy go lucky at this point. Yeah. And that's supposed to drive right. you even through their survival in the house. You're of supposed horror. to care. Of, yeah. You're supposed to care about this guy and like the people. It's true. It, it is. It is a weird dynamic because like they kind of wrote themselves into a corner. Right. Where it's like, OK, so this like, you know, uh, butthurt, you know, uh, Reeve, who's like 100 years old, whose family was hurt by bankers always kills bankers when they come through his town. So, like, the main characters that come through have to be, like, yuppie sleazeballs. But then it's hard because, like, how do you care about that character? And the only answer is, like, you have to cast somebody that's likable. Oops, we cast Chevy Chase. <laughs> which, like, a, I, a I like him, but, like... Chevy Chase. Yeah, yeah like, not every... Exactly. So, like, um, it's it's tricky because there is no, like... 
there is no character motivation really other than they just want to get out of there but it's a genre movie so it's like how much do you really need like you're there to see the freaking set pieces and like the the weird grotesque designs and all that and like that's it you know yeah well for me i had i went in so blind i didn't even read the synopsis like the one sentence Great. synopsis same, same so here we are within 10 minutes they're on the road with the brazilianaires my least I'm- favorite mm-hmm. characters of the film <laughs> Yeah, they're so annoying, right? They're so annoying that you literally are so empathetic to the characters who have to have them bring them along on the road trip because you're like, oh, shit, they did show up and I hate those guys, but I should actually want to see these funny characters. But then you're on the road within, you know, like eight minutes of the movie already on the road. And I'm like, what is this movie? I'm like, it's not going to be a road trip movie because they're on the road way too fast. So what is this going to be? So my mind was blown once um, they were being brought to the town um, after the big chase, the exciting chase. which yeah the chevy chase Chase. oh my god he did it (laughs) nailed it um but then they start going and you see like you said the toasters and these weird structures and then i was like okay i have no idea what this movie is i still don't let's go (laughs) see that's what i love about the movie is that like if you go in blind it keeps making these left turns that I mean, like, and then Digital Underground shows up at some oh point and like play God. a song. Tupac, like, Tupac is, like... is in the movie. It's like, I mean, come on, like that's that's like high quality. Like you know, that was stuff probably a, to me my second favorite after the twins is the appearance of Digital Underground and spotting Tupac yeah, yeah. Uh, at times. Yeah, yeah. Once I saw that happen, I was like, "You son of a bitch, Evan!" No one like <laughs> got you. This is I can see fully like. I could see definitely, you know, while still hiding whether I like the movie or not, I could see all the good parts starting to form, like scabs. Was that? Unintentionally. Unintentionally, yeah. Unintentionally hiding and swerving. But I could see it starting to crest over like scabs. Once you saw Tupac in the digital underground, it really solidified for me as like, okay, this this movie is it is something. It's definitely not to be revealed yet. (laughs) and and, and here's the thing about it too is i guarantee that if i had seen this movie let's say i was born like 30 years earlier than i was and i saw this movie as an adult i probably wouldn't like it like i think that like something about being nine or ten or whatever and you're way more open-minded and i also grew up like loving ghostbusters and and old snl and chevy chase and stuff like that so like i was already primed to sort of enjoy it but I feel like that that happens with a lot of art or a lot of movies where you get to it very young and you just have an affection for it because, you know, y- you were so open hearted back then. And now it's like, yeah, I probably if I watch the movie now, I'd probably be like, huh? You know, I, mean? I don't know. I think I'm not, this, not a big fan. you're in the same boat as my husband, who are probably the same age as you, because he did stop and like lovingly uh, looked at like 60 seconds of the twins. Um, and he said, yeah, mm-hmm. I was very scared and disturbed by them. But there was nothing negative in his voice. Like he looked nostalgic and like soft <laughs> when he said that. And he said, right. I used to watch this movie a lot. And he walked away. And I, and I said after him, it's one of the worst movies I've ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it is so memorable. And I am trying to uh, be better with movies and more open-hearted. New movies especially, because I'll watch a movie like this and then just kind of be, like, excited about it without trashing it. Sure. 
just being like, oh, cool, it has Tupac in the digital underground. It has um, these practical effects. It has the um, the bone crushing, uh, which we call it. Uh, a roller the coaster, crushing roller coaster, roller coaster. yeah, yeah it's, with, with, with with its own metal theme song that plays twice in the movie. By yeah, the way. get that soundtrack, people, because it'll have it on. I, know, I wonder. I, I'm curious to see like what band did that actually. But uh, uh, it it's something where all that stuff is just cool. I'm glad that's in a movie. But if I if this movie was made today and I watched it, I'd just think of the negative. I would, I wouldn't be able to think of all the cool stuff. So I'm trying to even watch right. movies nowadays as if they were 20 or 30 years old and be like, oh, would I just be happy to see uh, Angelina Jolie as a firefighter in some political thriller? Great. Those who wish me dead. It's a fun movie. Wow. Right. It's just sliding yeah, it that, in. That's a, that's a nice philosophy to have. And, and like, I struggle I look, I look at it. it this way. <laughs> it's like, not well, no, I know. I get it. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I hate everything. Um that that's the thing is I, I try to I try to look at it like you know we're we're getting very polarized as a society obviously like you know I'm not gonna bring up politics but it's in there um, and like on Twitter and stuff like that it's it's no longer like uh, this isn't for me sometimes it's like if you like this you're an idiot you know what I mean like yeah, people get very mm-hmm. judgmental with their stuff and the way I look at it is like you know uh, I may not enjoy a Jackson Pollock painting. Maybe I look at it and I'm like, that just looks like a big freaking mess on a canvas, but I can recognize that it's like an intentional piece of art. And that's what I try to apply to most stuff. Like if it's a movie that like is doing something interesting or has something to say, then uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I whether I like it or not is kind of like regard, like, um, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It just, it, it is what it is. And you know there there is a little bit of message in this. You know there's Let's there's talk some about stuff that. about yuppies and and uh, there's some othering going on. I mean there's obviously some really bad like unwoke moments too in the whole film that like might make some people cringe in 2021. <laughs> but you know in context there there is it says a little bit about like you know uh, bankers and capitalists and all that shit. So. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say it very eloquently, but it says it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of the weird thing about the movie. It, it Around this time, you had, um, and some of these movies are going to sound weird that I put them in, but you have Gremlins 2, People Under the Stairs, yeah. uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Uh, and that's just to name a few movies that kind of are making fun of corporate America. Uh, they are trying to s- show like what corporate corporations can do that's wrong, uh, and this is all in the wake of the early '90s financial crisis. So it's this weird thing where there's a lot of movies kind of touching on this stuff that this movie is, but this movie is straight up out there saying, "Oh, the wealthy and bankers are bad and deserve to die." But then, I mean, I don't know if it's saying that per se. I didn't but see I, that message at all. <laughs> I just saw that? like this I mean, guy is a piece that? of shit, but you're still supposed to kind of care about him a lot. Um, and Demi Moore is great, and it's not actually even a story about them becoming a couple at all. In case you thought it's, that might be it. <laughs> yeah, it, there's never anything really like they. Neither of them <laughs> makes the effort to no. become a. There's no chemistry anyway. <laughs> But I know there's no chemistry at all there. And I wonder how much of that is from them hating each other in actuality. Oh, and the fact so that, that they're much. on this movie, which again, I'm just 
uh, my source is Wikipedia. So apparently everybody hated it. Like one of the critics said, everybody was hating to be on that film set. I could tell it by their performances. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, but ironically, the crew didn't because I, I heard that Dan Aykroyd was like such a um, collaborative director that if people had ideas, he would just like, yeah, let's go for it, which ballooned the budget. But it's like, I think that that's a really nice thing about him as a director, which is just, it's a shame that he didn't get to do it Oof. again because apparently people loved that he got to, yeah, but I mean, like, you you could fall fall flat out of the gate and then get a second chance and do a better job. No, yeah, I mean, it made I, I, I just want to stop it right there. Um, <laughs> a director's supposed to make choices and the director who says, all right, anybody else has ideas? Uh, what do you think, gaffer man? Like, I'm a nice guy, let's hear from you. That's a terrible thing for people who want to leave home and go see their families on time. Because one thing a director needs to do, I think, is just like to be able to make decisions. So even if he was a super nice guy, which is nice if he was, and he but he was still still super fluid about like, eh, we can do it this way or that way. That sounds like well, a I disaster. think it was more like uh, a um, special effects guy coming up and being like, hey, instead of killing him this way, what if we made the uh, the roller coaster? We make a roller coaster that does it. And then he's like, that sounds awesome. And I trust you to pull it off. So cool. So then it's just enhancing. It is. It's a a little bit of, it's a little bit of extrapolation from the trivia, (laughs) but it's a, I think that's what it was more Mm -hmm. so than him being like, what should we do? It was like, yeah, I I don't get the sense that he was like, what angle do we go? Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it the me to me the movie is competent enough like you know mm. it, it's it's you know the shots are in focus the camera's moving <laughs> like in, in a way that is like professional like it's it's a big budget movie I just think that he like clearly let other people chime in so many ideas which maybe made it a mess but also maybe it like added a bunch of cool stuff that we wouldn't have gotten beforehand you know what I mean yeah um, yeah it's kind of like leveling up everything you. Right. You say, hey, here's all the basic stuff we're going to do. And then if anybody has any ideas how we can still pull that off, but even cooler, go ahead. So right. then it's like, oh, instead of a car chase, how about in the car chase, the the cop has NOS. And you're like, cool. That sounds cooler. Yeah. Than and he has, he has little like, yeah, he has like little gadgets that like make the shit in the road stop, you know, or whatever, you know, blockades and that kind of stuff. But which feels like uh, a I just fever looked it up dream. that. Yeah, I know. The whole movie is. Uh, I just looked it up. It's the the band that made the Bone Stripper song was Damn Yankees, mm. which was a super group formed by Ted Nugent. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, Tommy Shaw from the band Sticks and a, a few other people. So they, they did that song in the uh, late 80s that was like, can you take me higher? I think that's theirs. Mm-hmm. Um so they were, they were, yeah, they were commissioned to write the original song "Bone Stripper" for this movie, which is, again, that's like, the budget. Put, they put a, they're putting a lot of, yeah, putting a lot of effort into this movie. It's so funny. I do want to go so. back to like this weird theme because I, I do think it is trying to say something about uh, bankers and all that. Like it so clearly is. It's just doing a poor job. Yeah, because it, it's like you can't do that with any any horror movie. Why is the killer attacking? You know, like that is so important to what the movie's trying to say, and this movie does try to say it. And I think they're even comparing bankers to real criminals, drug dealers, and stuff. Because the yeah. uh, the the weird biker couple—they're not bikers, but they're like just a scuzzy couple that 
uh, he ends up getting and killing. Oh yeah, the the drug. The I think it's uh, one of the bald ones. I think it's Daniel Baldwin yeah, and like a few other yeah, like New York people. Which by the way is a super weird plot point because when you get introduced to those characters, they're all driving, they're doing drugs. I I guess they're in New Jersey or something, but like. He's like, Miami, here we come. So they're going to drive all the way to Miami at night? Like, that's... On a bender? That's really far. That's really far to go to my Like, New York to Miami is what? Like, 15 hours? People like, love yeah. to do that, though. I don't know if Ugh, they do it in the middle God. of the night, but it's a thing. On the it's East a Coast. good idea. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so, yeah. It's seeming to say, like, hey, bankers and those people are the same in the movie's eyes. Right. But then what is it saying uh, about the the murderers who are the people i mean i don't know I, I i don't think they thought that far ahead honestly i think that they had like a loose concept of like you know this i mean if you want to read into it you know you could read into it you could read that you know that they are as bad as these other people I mean, there's that whole scene up in the attic where they find all the ids and the newspaper clippings where like they killed jimmy hoffa they killed this like nazi doctor or whatever it's like oh shit so they there's sort of this weird like um, you know, brutal justice to all of it. You know what I mean? Which kind of makes you like sympathize with the crazy fucked up Vulcanheiser family, which is you know Dan Haykroyd's whole clan. But um, I mean, yeah, they are the villains, right? So you are supposed to care about uh Chevy Chase's character and their friends. But that that's another reason why the movie doesn't work for a lot of people because it's like you kind of don't care about Chevy Chase. You kind of can't get on the side of the the Vulcan Vania people. So where, mm-hmm. where you're left is kind of in this mushy middle. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's the problem with having, you know, SNL comedian led films is like a lot of times the leads are just kind of like snarky and you know, mm-hmm. he's not like, it's not like it's a family man. Like it might like imagine a different movie. If it was like Chevy chase was more like the dad from vacation who happened to be a banker. You know what I mean? Who was taking his family across you know new jersey and then like there's now you have like a wife and children involved Mm -hmm. and the stakes get higher and he's maybe a little more likable because he isn't this like dude who's just trying to like get laid with uh, demi Moore in the car you know what i mean yeah he's exactly the guy who deserves it no i would say the argument that he didn't they didn't lean in lean in enough into that like they didn't make him enough of a piece of shit either to be like oh this guy like just might as well just have like one team of him being complete piece of shit him just like grabbing this woman, putting her in the car, and they were like, "This fucker deserves something bad to happen to him." And then, see just that watch that, that seems more like a horror movie to me, though. That's like, and like that actually is like a pretty good horror movie plot where you have like almost no heroes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then, by the time this like shitty character gets captured by the the uh, the judge, it's like you're kind of rooting for the villains at that point to like you know off these people. But again, it's like a it's like a comedy in the '90s, which you know. They kind of get mushy. You can definitely feel the executives kind of like, uh, you know, prodding around a little bit and, and changing things. Because I do imagine it was darker originally. Yeah, well, I wonder if the darker. I mean, we'll never know. It needs it needs to be so much darker, or it needs to be so much less dark. Yes. Well, what did you think in the beginning? Like, didn't you think like like I I mean, it's clear, Evan, that like you love the once we get into the town and all this like crazy shit starts happening but what did you think about like it's like it, it's a it's a it's a pretty sizable chunk of movie in the beginning where i'm like you're like okay we're spending way too much time just like establishing this character like just establishing 
and then before they turn into like oh that's what this movie is um like don't you think that that's like almost makes you never even discover what this movie is because there's so much of this other shit that doesn't pay off uh you mean like in the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie where he's where, where he's in new york and stuff yes. like that um yeah i mean i think that that's just it they, they were trying to lay groundwork to like show you what this character's life mm-hmm. is you know try to i mean if if the connection between him and Demi Moore was more like vibrant and there was chemistry yes. and you actually wanted them to get together, then like maybe those scenes would play better because you would want to be there. But like you could have easily started the movie like with them in the car on the, the way yes. and like done some other exposition mm-hmm. to sort of set up why they're doing this. But, you know, again, it's like a, a lot of movies that don't succeed do have that issue where they tone change they kind of change they, they yeah they yeah they change tone they spend too much time in one location or the other you know like in stripes when they leave basic training and then like the last 40 minutes of the movie they're in like another country or overseas mm-hmm. and it's like not a very good i don't know if you've seen that but it's like yeah the movie kind of is over at that point but um yeah i mean again he took a big swing i mean maybe it was intentional maybe it's like i want to set it up mm-hmm. the first like 15 minutes People don't know what's going to happen, and it's this tone change of, like, then it gets dark and weird. And maybe that was a big swing. And, again, that's what I respect about mm-hmm. the movie is that it's, like, it's just all, like, swinging for the fences, like, every choice. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm just finding for myself, like, a lot of times on Shut Up, I Love It, which is a safe place, and we're all here to love things. But, like, Joe would be like, right. I like tone change, right? Like, like, you're cool with tone change. I've heard you say that before. And yeah, then the guests would be like, it's... I like tone change. And I'm like, I just can't stand tone change. So it could be something mm-hmm. that's happening to me where I just... Literally, I'm like, you were not giving me what I was expecting. Promise of the premise, what's happening? And, like, my brain explodes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just, it probably would be a different conversation if the dynamics were a little bit better in that first 20 minutes. Right. Of, like, okay, we're rooting for Chevy. We're rooting for Demi. Like, there's no no real reason to root for either of them. And those two weirdos in the car with them. Yeah, and of course. And honestly, let, let... Let's not forget John Candy's character. I mean, oh, I would say that he's the most sympathetic one because True. he he wants to get out of there. Like he so he you know he played uh, Dennis, his grandson, who's also a cop, right? And he like doesn't like that Dan Aykroyd's character is killing all these people. He finds it like kind of terrible. So you can see that he wants to like leave and like. John Candy, no matter what, even in a movie that isn't, like, as well thought out as this one, like, still brings a touch of humanity to almost everything he does, I think. So, like... Could have been about that character. Yeah, honestly, that could have been more of the story, but... He's gone early on. that's fine. Like, at midpoint, like, pretty much, right? Well, yeah, he literally leaves so that he can go live uh, (laughs) where he does live with with the the Brazilianaires. It's... Yeah. It's very... Like, it comes back, and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess he did just disappear great he also tries to help chevy and demi get out because he's the one that like spins them out of the bed and opens the door and then they end up like up in the attic so he's like attempting to help them break out so he's a pretty sympathetic character yeah and Um, then of course he plays the sister as well which is mm -hmm, the mute aldona yes yeah feels like a texas chainsaw massacre uh reference just of even having the drag character or whatever we want to want to call that but uh, it does feel very, like, early 90s. Like, isn't it funny that a man dressed as a woman? <laughs> it's like, I guess mm-hmm. it's funny. Like, Not, and it's and it's not just a man. It's a, it's an overweight man dressed. It's like, no, it's fat phobic and it's transphobic in a weird way. It's like mm-hmm. both at once. Yeah. Because they do make uh, fat phobic jokes for sure. 
Yeah, I can't remember them. But uh, yeah, they do come. Oh, of course they would. Why wouldn't they? I mean, yeah. It, but it's nothing that's so awful that like, you know. No, I Shut mean, Up, it's, I Love it's, It had it's, much it's, more cringy yeah. movies brought on. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a mild cringe. Mm-hmm. It's not like the worst cringe I've ever had to do. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it is more of just like, oh, okay, that used to be funny. Yeah. But it's just kind right. of like not funny, period. Not even because it's offensive. It's just like, okay. It's, yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a done image. Um, but the most yeah. upsetting image is the cock nose. Oh, yes. Yeah. That, that's great. Dan Aykroyd's the- nose is literally a cock. Only in one shot, only in the one shot. But it, but it, yeah, like because mostly it's like sort of this butt. I mean, my I love the part where he like takes his wig off and he's in the mirror and he takes his like fake and prosthetic mm-hmm. nose off and it's like this. You can see like down to the bone where his like nasal mm-hmm. cavity is. It's so gross. Um, but yeah, there's that one shot right where Chevy Chase is looking at him and he looks at his nose and it's like in the mind of Chevy Chase and it like literally is a penis. Um, and I like again. That's they went a great for risk. it. I love it. They went for it. Yeah, that's a, it's funny. It's like it's so <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. And then the twins, of course, they're still standing strong as like the most horrific experience of the movie for me, because they're oh, just yeah. Yeah. pretty disgusting, and um, they're they're not all there either. <laughs> they're it's not one, one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> They're, well, I think they're very sweet. They're like innocent little boys. You know, there's that line where he says, like, we're not allowed in the house. I think it's like, ah, that's pretty funny to me. And and uh, the the where their bellies sit is also very disturbing because, mm-hmm. like, their bellies sit, like, At right their above, knees, their knees. above their knees. So, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the, the prosthetic, like, the big dumpy diaper, like, I don't know, man. It's just, like, to me, it's it, – it, a lot of people will watch it and be disturbed by it, and I'm disturbed in a way where I enjoy it. I'm like, this is disturbing, and I'm fascinated by it, and I think it's it's – pretty uh in its own way very unique and original Mm -hmm. yeah i love any practical effect prosthetic so when they were on the screen i was like oh this just looks so good yeah and for kind of for what but it does look good so (laughs) yeah man they put a lot of effort into this one yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's when you watch the movie yeah that i mean me liking this movie is literally being like good effort like it's like a nice like you know like uh you competed trophy you know you, you at least you you placed somewhere <laughs> yeah and it does show something if you're like even if your core is rotten of like oh let's have a main character without really much motivation or a reason we like them so right. we're going to be growing from that but you just add so many interesting things on top of it that it's like okay it's like putting hot yeah, sauce it- on the piece of rotten meat Exactly. And it's funny because, I mean, I would say it, it, there's a bit of a nepotistic issue, issue with this because you're, if you're going to talk about the writing, it's Dan Aykroyd and his brother writing. So there's like, hey, my brother who like has only really written for SNL a little bit is now going to write this movie with me. And, you know, maybe not the most qualified writer in the world. Nothing against him, but, you know. And I'm guessing so he did a lot is, of cocaine when he wrote this movie. Probably, I'm thinking. Like, yeah, I yeah. I mean, it was yeah, or or just coming off of it, mm. which maybe should have done more cocaine. You know, because mm. it was the early '90s. People were trying to kick their '80s habits. I could see that. There's definitely <laughs> but, uh, a little psychedelics and lots of there's the up, uppity drugs. Yeah. Someone yeah. from the, yeah. either the crew suggesting things or mm. from the creators. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and the, I mean, you got to have drugs. I I come up with some pretty decent ideas when I'm stoned mm. um, and I write them down and then you look at them the next day and you're like, all right, that's either a winner or it's like, man, I was 
This is just a bad. Yeah, this is a yeah. bad stone. I don't know what yeah. world that was good in, but okay. I've, yeah. The things I've written, um, tripping on mushrooms, are still uh, sources I keep coming back to, and just being fascinated at that knowledge that I've yeah. received from the universe. But there's right. no screenplay that came out of it. Notoriously, <laughs> psychedelics do not produce good screenplays. Cocaine ones, they produce screenplays. Question is, are they good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a lot of cocaine movies here. <laughs> yeah, this, this feels in the like 80s. one. Definitely, definitely feels like a cocaine movie. Uh, and I want you to, for a second, imagine this movie that has all the same story beats, but there is no uh, penis nose. There's no no train with hot dog stuff. It's just a dinner scene. There, the brothers are just two brothers. They're not in prosthetics. There's no bone cruncher. And that's a pretty awful movie, right? Like that. Yeah. That's a low budget horror movie I've seen where I'm just like, oh, this, this is what is this? So I think this movie is a testament to budget. Because yes. you just say, like, you know what? Spend, spend, spend. I'm just looking up how and much money it costs compared 40 to Ghostbusters. $40 million, I think it was. And Ghostbusters? Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure about uh, Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I think Ghostbusters is probably a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I mean, this was, again, it's like Dan Aykroyd uh, basically saying the yeah, it's $40 million. And it, 30 and it million. made And it made, it made three point nine. <laughs> Uh, opening weekend, three million, almost four million thousand dollars. Three three thousand dollars. Its gross was eight thousand dollars. Eight eight and a half thousand. Or no, sorry, not eight thousand. Jesus, eight eight million. I can't read. Right we now. cannot eight million dollars. Do math. I I would honestly believe eight thousand, but um, yeah, no, yeah, it's like the, and again, this, a movie like this couldn't happen now because uh, a studio wouldn't take the risk on the budget and. Um, it would have to go one way or the other. Like, it would have to be, like, a complete whore. They'd probably need to have bigger stars, you know, sexier stars. I don't know. Maybe you find... Uh, maybe They're people pretty find sexy, sexy, all of them. I mean... I well, yeah. Demi's just killing it. Mm. Yeah. It's an issue. This is the peak of her powers. Yeah. yeah. It was an issue with Chevy Chase. Yes, it was. Um, uh, yeah. But, yeah. It's, yeah, you're right. Budget. Yeah, just to say, I watch a lot of low-budget and no-budget horror movies. Mm-hmm. And a lot yeah. of them are just bad. And I do wonder, yeah, if, if you sprinkled some money and said, all right, guys, just ratchet up the ideas, ratchet up the prosthetics, if then those movies change. If the yeah, monster I looks so. cool. I think, I, I think in, just adding inventiveness to something, like, makes it more appealing. Because, um, like, a lot of movies and horror movies, too, are, like, kind of the same idea. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a killer chasing us. We're in the woods. You know, we're... We're trapped in this thing. It's like you can't do that many different movies at their core. They're all kind of the same. Yeah, so at it's low all about budget. How you dress it up. And it's true. Yeah, you're kind of confined to those. So, um, yeah, I'd imagine so that if you take something that is kind of lackluster at its core, then you could definitely add up a lot of stuff. I wonder if there's other movies like that that I can think of that are kind of like, eh, not a great movie, but there's a lot of fun stuff around it. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, I, I guess feel the like we watch a lot tuned. of them. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever watch the movie Stay Tuned? It was also from the early 90s. Uh, no. It was a John Ritter movie, and in the movie, it's this character who's, like, obsessed with TV. Like, his wife is like, oh, all you do is watch TV, and, like, he doesn't, like, relate to his kids. 
And then this character played by Jeffrey Jones, who is like the devil, basically, sells him this like big screen TV with all these like demonic, satanic like channels on it. And the TV like sucks him into it. Mm -hmm. And then he has to play a game where he has to like survive through 24 hours or something to like live through all these like crazy channels. And like, that's like, like, like as a, as a concept for a movie is just so wild and weird. It's like, like you have to make that movie high budget with a bunch of crazy shit because, like at its core, there's really nothing relatable about it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's just so wild. I yeah, like, I, but I that's another that early '90s comedy. Now. I don't yeah. remember. I think it just speaks yeah. to that era of Hollywood uh, filmmaking where just everybody wanted super high concept, bonkers scripts, like, yeah. and. Obviously, it's changing. It's like a lot more soft concepts going on. There's still high concepts going on, especially with our tours. Uh, um, like, um, what's his dude? The you know the. Um, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not, I don't know what I'm saying. But the thing is, um, I, I don't know. It's it, it high concept. This just sounds bonkers. Usually, like doesn't work out. Like for me, like it's like if it's so uh, I crazy. Love them. I seek them out. <laughs> I know you did. There was this French movie that just came out called Mandibles, which mm, I went to go see. It did look and good. It's, it's a, have, you heard, have you heard about this? It's yeah. about these two like loser, like pseudo-criminal guys in Paris who steal a car, and in the back of the car there's a fly that's like, you know, mm-hmm. the size of like your body cavity. It's like humongous, and they try to train the fly to steal stuff, and it's just a very weird movie, but I guess maybe because it's French, they pull it off, but like... So you saw they, it. I think yeah. they still... Yeah, yeah I did, yeah. yeah. I saw it, and I feel like, um, I think those movies are still getting made. It's just that like they're not getting made with the support of a of a big studio. Exactly, and, and we're so fragmented mm-hmm. in how we're making things that like whether you catch it or not it is um, pretty rare, and there's not as much stuff as in the zeitgeist. You know what I mean? Yeah, and to me, it does still uh, uh, feel like maybe because we're talking a different country, and I haven't seen the movie Mandibles. I want to see it. Um, but because we're not talking about big Hollywood studio, it's it still feels different from like oh we're just gonna do crazy like uh, high concept. This more feels like even though it's high concept, but it's more like absurd almost. Like I, I haven't seen Mandible, mm-hmm. but it feels like more absurd as opposed to um, yes, as opposed to I don't know. There's something about Hollywood studio doing it like that. It has its own tone. Yeah, of like yeah, it's, its own still flavor. gonna do yeah, its own flavor of like there's still gonna be a three act structure, hero's journey, but it's gonna be fucking insane. And you like. Yeah, mm-hmm. it. I mean, it, it. Honestly, if you can take a movie that starts crazy like that in a, a, at a script level and then get it made through like a studio, all the producers, all the executives who have to put their fingerprints on it, and it still resembles somewhat of the craziness that it had at its beginning, I think that's kind of a success story because you know by the time, and I'm not just talking about nothing but trouble because obviously this movie has problems. <laughs> that's <laughs> weird. Um, but. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that it's it's a testament that you don't get to see that a lot anymore because it's easier to, like, get a couple financiers to make a small movie and you have less people telling you what to do and you can make it as crazy as you want. But to get it through a big studio, that's that's a feat, you know? Well, they were too yeah. busy. The, the only ex- the executives at Warner Brothers, like you said, they were distracted by another movie being made. And there's only two right. executives exactly. at the time at Warner Brothers. So they were all busy. Um, and that's why this movie was made. And that's why we're here talking about it. Man, can you imagine being the executives that had to like answer for Bonfire of the Vanities and then nothing but trouble like right after? Like, God, they probably got their shit canned so bad. And then uh, went to another studio. 
Exactly. exactly. They're like, now we're at, now we're at TriStar. And know. their children are rich. Um, yeah, of course. I have no sympathy. <laughs> really. It's fine. Should we move on to my favorite part of Shut Up, I Love It, the ratings? Let's do it. So let me explain yeah. how the rating system works, Evan. We are going to rate okay. this movie on a scale of 0 to 10 using something else as a reference point. That something else can be something uh, related, like another movie, another horror comedy movie. Or it could be something unrelated, like chocolate chip cookies are a 7. This movie's a 10, because it's way better than chocolate chip cookies. Wow. It could be anything okay. you want. But if that still doesn't cute. make any sense, we will go first. So. You, you, go for, you go first, because I want to see how you, how you yeah. do yeah. it. Yeah, it's, we it's, will. It's a... Yeah. It's an exciting attraction to see. It's a, it's a okay. thing. So I'm going to... I'm going <laughs> to... I did think this movie was political. If slightly. <laughs> so I'm going to um, <laughs> go against another uh, somewhat political horror comedy. I don't think it's perfect, but uh, as far as a comparison, but it's what we're going to go with. I'm going to go with uh, Ready or Not. This was the Samara Weaving horror movie where she plays a game of hide and seek with her new uh, family and they're trying to kill her. So I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I will say it's not as bonkers and doesn't have any as many memorable little set pieces as nothing but trouble. I'll give it that. But I'll give Ready or Not an eight. I think it's very good. Uh, I think I'll want to revisit it years from now nothing but trouble i'm gonna give a six wow i think it's a really bad movie but there are at least like four to five reasons you have to watch it and i think anybody who a lot of the people who have the same film taste as me i would need them to watch this movie you know, people who watch uh, old 80s action movies and, yeah. you know, the schlock movies uh, from the 90s and 70s and 80s. If you haven't seen this one, you got to see it. So, although it's not good, it is a must-see. I'm going to be telling people to watch this. Hell yeah. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is still like... It's, a victory for Evan. It sucks it's so yes. bad. <laughs> it's a very weird dynamic you're in right now. It's a kind of a conundrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like a you know that durian fruit that's supposed to smell really bad, and I've never tried mm. it. Yeah, it smells like feet or something. Yeah, and like like mm. just explodes with the smell. Mm-hmm. I feel well, like it's, it's similar to that where you're like you have to try it. It's going to be really bad. You're going to mm-hmm. gag, but you have to try it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's I I read something about like bad movies where you know uh, there's a Batman scale to bad movies where like. Tim Burton Batman is good. Batman Forever is bad, but Batman and Robin is bad in a way that you enjoy watching mm-hmm. it cuz it's so bad that you enjoy it. Whereas Batman Forever is just kind of like bad. I mean, I'm not not hating on anybody that actually maybe somebody loves that movie, but I think if you were to like with with the help of time scale back and look at it, you could say like, "Eh, Batman Forever is kind of in the mushy middle," whereas like Batman and Robin is just terrible and it's i'd rather watch it because at least you can get some laughs out of it mm-hmm. definitely like, some laughs something to that coming out of this yeah. movie um mm-hmm. just not Maybe chevy chase it. ones <laughs> yeah sasha what about you uh first before i go i was going to ask evan how many times have you seen this film um probably 
I mean, it's hard to know when you're a kid because it would just mm-hmm. be on and like, does it count? Does it count if it's on mm-hmm. in the background while you're like farting around in the living room? But like, I'd say probably like <laughs> nine to nine to twelve times mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I, I, the reason I'm asking is because I'm going to compare <coughs> this uh, movie to my favorite bad movie, uh, which is of course The Room uh, with Tommy Wiseau, <laughs> which I think. Uh, one of the Brazilians, oh, I'm sorry, Braziliners, what are they called? Uh, the has a little bit of a has a little bit of a Tommy Wiseau uh, vibe, for sure. The brother, uh, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. There's that going on. Yeah. So maybe there's some inspiration Fausto. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I love The Room. I watch it at least once a year. Um, more, oh, I love a it. lot of times, more often. Um, I think it's... Um, it it's brilliant because it's so sincere obviously it's different budget hard to compare and i am by no means ever like one shut up i love it is not por- about por- polarizing people further we are safe space we bring people and we're just being honest and we love our guests um but i'll walk you through it so the, the room uh for me is probably a nine to ten like it just depends on the watch but i feel like it's probably a 10 because it's just so wrong mm-hmm. and bad and it doesn't get less funny every time i watch it, it gets just funnier uh age yeah. is like a delicious french wine um <laughs> Cote de i'll be more specific yes um nothing but trouble as i was watching it i was very um upset that i had to keep watching it and i was thinking <laughs> i'm gonna give it a two right i was thinking i'm gonna give it a two on a 10 scale uh, yeah. And then I saw the twins, right? I saw the twins that were there for some time. And also, again, like I mentioned, that I really enjoyed the brief but memorable uh, performance and arrival by um, Digital Underground. And I said to myself, no, I'm going to give it a three because I like uh, these elements. But then I'm remembering the pain with which I watched this movie. And I still have to give it a two. Oh, you almost! I almost that did extra it, point. and wow. I, I just, I, I just have to say that, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a strong feeling of, uh, I don't want to see this movie, but I also respect the fact that because of you, Evan, coming on Shut Up, I Love It, I saw it. I, otherwise, I would never have seen it. I would have been dead and gone, and nobody <laughs> would remember me, and I would have never uh, traversed the waters of. Great. Nothing but trouble. Most importantly, who cares what I think? Most importantly, Evan, what does your scale look like? Well, it's better than a better than a one. Two's better than a one um, <laughs> or zero. I'm gonna I'm gonna compare I'm gonna compare it because this movie is kind of like a haunted house movie. So I'm gonna compare it to like um, like a haunted hayride. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever done the haunted hayride in L.A. And not or, that or let's one, just say like a ha- yeah. Let's just say a haunted house in general. Like it's Halloween. Mm-hmm. You go to a haunted house. I would rate an actual haunted house nice. at a six mm-hmm. um, because I, I don't like to physically be scared. Uh, I, it, yeah. it puts me off. Um, but I do get some enjoyment out of being spooked. I think there's a difference <laughs> between being like somebody jumping at you and trying to like give you a fucking heart attack as opposed <laughs> to being like, ooh, that's creepy. Mm-hmm. So I find that fascinating. So I would give an actual haunted house a six and I would give nothing but trouble. Um, I would give it an eight. I would give it an eight for me. I would give it an eight because I can enjoy all those aspects and some laughs from the comfort of my own living room. And um, on your DVD. God willing, 
on my on my and God Four willing, three. the new Beverly, the new Beverly will show it in thirty five millimeters someday, <laughs> and they'll have like Dan Aykroyd come on to guest oh. and do a little talk back or something because I think it deserves that level of respect uh, for the seven people out there like me. That Tarantino really will put it up at, Vis- at Vista. I mean, why not? Yeah, let's see. Maybe they will. Maybe we'll see. They can dig up an old print. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I'd rate it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Evan, for coming up on Shut Up, I Love It, talking about this film of yours that you love so much. Uh, yeah, thank you. And thank you for doing this podcast because it's, I think it's really cool to give people a chance to tell people about things that may not be well known or deserve a second shot. And it's, uh, it's nice that you have a, a mission that, uh, uh, is noble and I can get behind that. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, well, uh, the movie I was in, uh, honesty weekend is on Amazon. Uh, you can rent it there. I think it's on iTunes too. So any, anything that you want to, uh, you know, watch, download, stream. You can buy it on DVD if you want, but I don't <laughs> know who's three. doing that anymore. But uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, that's out there, and that's like a little indie comedy that I'm starring in that came out earlier this year. And congrats! Give it, a, give it, a, give it a look. See, it's a fun, you know, low budget uh, ensemble. It's, and it's what did you say? Time. The genre is comedy. Yeah, it's like a comedy with some drama. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. about a bunch of friends who get together for like a weekend. Uh, they're old like college friends kind of like the big chill but uh, in this instance my character and my wife are going through some troubles and our um, our marriage counselor was like you should just try being honest with each other for like a full weekend <laughs> and it happens to be the same weekend that we like are with our old friends so a bunch of stuff spills out gets very messy and very funny and it, it was a blast shooting the movie. I had like the, the most fun of my life. So I got, I got to get back and do another feature. Well, that's great. We're going to put the links to the movie on uh, the description of this episode. Is there any social media people can follow you at? Uh, yeah, Evan J. Watkins at Twitter. Uh, same handle for Instagram. Uh, I just got on Twitch, but I keep get or not not Twitch. Sorry, I'm so old. I get Twitch and uh, TikTok <laughs> mixed up. I'm twitching but, uh, just listening to the social media. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tick, I'm, I just got on TikTok to do some funny videos uh, of like, you know, impressions and characters, but I keep getting kicked off because their their community guideline standards are like so like prudish. You know, I showed my nipples in a video and they're like, that's sexual. And I'm like, oh, my God. So oh my gosh, yeah. I've if, seen if, if much I don't, more I, sexual stuff than that. Yeah. Oh, on 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 TikTok for sure. But I'm not like an influencer who has millions of followers. So uh, it's yeah. So if I don't get kicked off, I, I, I'm also on TikTok. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, Joe, what What's about up? you? What's going on with you? Uh, go check out JoeCabello.com. Everything's on there from links to my other movie review podcast, Beat It, to my comic books. So go check that out. Awesome. And thank you again, Evan, for coming on. Shut up. I love it. Great to have you. Thank you, Elizabeth Silas, for the artwork. Thank you, Mr. Owl, for this amazing track. And thank you for listening.